This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Divorced. Beheaded. Died. Divorced. Beheaded. Survived. It began at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and it's now been on Broadway, the West End, in Sydney, on tour, and even on cruise ships. This is the definition of a smash hit, and the subject is history. The Six Wives of Henry VIII Reimagined. The Six Queens of Henry VIII have gathered posthumously, and they're on a kind of girl group reunion tour. And it's a brilliant tour. It's energetic, it's hilarious, and it's crazy. It is, of course, Six the Musical. Divorced, beheaded, live. I'm delighted to be joined today by its writers, Lucy Moss and Toby Marlowe, to explore how they created a musical about some of the most famous women in history. Well, it is a complete delight to speak to you. I'm very excited about speaking to you, actually, because I absolutely love this show. And it's just very exciting to think about how you did it. So let's start at a really obvious place. How did you come up with the concept? What was your vision for the piece? And I guess this might be particularly useful for those who haven't had a chance to see it yet. Mm -hmm. So we were at uni and the Musical Theatre Society at uni wanted to take an original musical to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And so I applied to write it with basically like four criteria of like the kind of show that I thought would be good for this. Something that had like a famous subject matter, first and foremost, because the Edinburgh Fringe, loads of shows, something that stood out. Something that had pop music in, because it was the music that I liked to write and listen to and like the music that defined our friendship a lot. <laughs> and then something that played around with the form of music, because I kind of felt a lot of the time musicals like break into songs and like the song scene kind of structure alienates people. 
And then also something that had an entirely female and non-binary cast because a lot of conversations that we were having in our friendship circles at the time was about like representation of women, particularly in musical theatre and how there weren't many good roles for women. And we had like some really talented friends at uni. And I think when this opportunity came up, it was, oh, this would be a really good opportunity to write something that had funny, great, meaty parts for our friends and showcase them in ways that your classic musicals don't usually. And so then when I got the gig, I was like, okay, right, well, famous group of women that people know. And then the first one that came to mind was The Six Wives of Henry VIII. Well, how to tell that in an hour at the Fringe without like going through like decades and decades of history with pop music. And then that led to, oh, well, if it's a pop concert, then that could be a fun way of like having pop music, each like telling a bit of their story and it could fit into an hour. Not really the whole like narratively what would happen, but I feel like as a concept that could kind of work. And then I rang Lucy immediately. <laughs> I, was just, I was like in a class at uni when I came up with the idea and I was like writing down this paper like, call Lucy, need Lucy. And then I like rang and I was like, okay, Lucy, you know how we're like chatting about writing a musical together one day? Well, what about the six wives of Henry VIII? But they're a girl group and it's a pop concert. <laughs> and you were like, uh-huh. But obviously it's gone from being a fringe show to being this worldwide hit. And so you've been reviewed all over the place and The Guardian describes it as the reclamation of history for women we've dismissed or judged as villains because each one of the six queens gets to tell her story her way. So was that idea of restoring women's perspective to history part of the motivation for you? I mean, you've said it's about restoring women on stage and that's clearly part of it. But is that kind of take on history important to you? Yeah, totally. I mean, what's interesting is that at the time, the degree that I was doing at uni was a history degree. And I feel like any time I was writing an essay, it was about reframing women's narratives or like marginalised voices in history's narratives. A lot of what I used to write about or get interested in about was what we think of as the idea of like traditional quote unquote important history and like why we think of it in that way and how that's actually shaped by patriarchy and the idea that like important boys having important conversations is history when actually I used to find it really interesting using material culture and like different evidence as a way of like reshaping re-understanding the stories of ordinary people and kind of like the value of that or whatever so I feel like it was kind of interesting because I don't think the fact that we were having conversations about representation for women in theatre I don't think that was separate from the fact that that's a lot of the stuff that I was studying. A lot of, I'm sure, the same stuff that you're doing in your English degree mm-hmm. was about who's been exempted from history. And I think it was also 2017. So really interestingly, a hashtag Me Too movement happened just after we'd written the show. And it was like really part of the kind of cultural climate, particularly being pretentious students at uni, where everyone was always kind of talking about women's voices and women not being given space and reclaiming their space and reclaiming their narrative and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's interesting that the revisionist history side of six was kind of coinciding in the way that we were talking about just like you know our friends performing at uni or like shows that we were seeing and stuff as well Mm -hmm. like it was all kind of part of this very 2017 cultural conversation about feminism yeah i think that's absolutely right i think the fact is that we've got this kind of zeitgeist that quite clearly informs how we write history and there's a bunch of historical research informing this musical i mean there's loads of pleasures in it like loads of details that brought a smile to my face and will do for anyone who knows the period lots of in jokes as well of course as the hefty dose of sass and attitude which we will get back to but let's talk a bit about the research first so how did you go about incorporating research into an hour show well we didn't do buckets of it because it wasn't my main priority my main priority was studying for my exams and writing my dissertation on musical theatre so you've sort of just accidentally written a hit show on the side, essentially, what you're telling me. But kind of, as in, like, I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, read novels and novels and novels about the six wives. So I read the Antonia Fraser 
Six Wives and Henry VIII, it seemed like a good length that I could read in the holidays. It was written by a woman. I like the way it was structured. It's not about like Henry's reign and like how he interacted with the women. It's like six mini biographies. And then the marriage to Henry is a part of all of them. And I quite liked that as a structure. And so I read that and you watched the Lucy Walls, the yeah, documentary Lucy series. Yeah, documentary series on the six wives, which was amazing in terms of talking about them in a 21st century way. You know, being like, Catherine Howard, she's been seen as the slutty one, but maybe she's an abused child kind of thing. Yeah. What's interesting is part of my degree was this early modern German visual culture course. So a lot of Hans Holbein stuff. So I wasn't like studying the six wives in my history degree, but I was studying that period in Germany. A lot of the framing of the period I knew about already mm -hmm. from my degree. And then in terms of the research, it was about finding bits of the, the key like, points yeah. and kind of like refreshing a lot of GCSE knowledge. Because it also wasn't a thing where we were setting out to tell the untold story of the six wives and Henry VIII. We needed to know like the key facts mm -hmm. so we could tell bits of each of their stories. You know? I mean, the literal nuts and bolts of how we did it was we both read and watched the things that we did. I didn't even read the biography until later, until after mm -hmm. we'd done the first draft of it. I did read it out when we did the second draft. <laughs> Toby had basically made like bullet points of dates and key narrative points of what happened to them in a little mm. notebook. And along the way, like, oh, this could be like a fun song, yeah. like a fun moment in a song. It was like kind of conversation of like, what could be a fun song? And also what aspect of their story do women today relate to? And what mm. could be a thing that we basically like, speak about the female experience today mm. via their stories? So mm. it was about finding things that worked as songs but also felt literally resonant with personal or secondhand experiences that we knew yeah. in their stories. And then just taking those things out. Like, literally mm. from the bullet points being like, oh yes, that's a theme. Or, like, that's yeah. Cool. And like we made decisions of, okay, like Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard's songs, their lives in songs. A lot of time we cover it in those things, facts and moments. Whereas Aragon, Seymour, we found a parallel with an experience today to make it relatable. That's a really helpful way of framing it. So you're approaching the past from the present, as we all actually do, but you're kind of foregrounding that approach. I do wonder what would have happened if you'd picked up either David Starkey or Alison Weir's collective histories of the wives. I'm sure Fraser's kind of feminist credentials have influenced you there. I think, yeah, yeah I, the things that I skim read were what's the traditional take? Because particularly with Anne Boleyn, so mm. much of the stuff that we were doing was how have they been framed before? So basically in the show, there's like a pre-song to her song. And similarly with Catherine Howard, through the song, we set up what the audience quote unquote already supposed to know about them and then reframe it within it. A lot of that came from literally reading the first like 10 pages of David yeah. Starkey book and being like, oh dear. And also like <laughs> Antonio Fraser's prologue, which is divorce, beheaded, die, divorce, beheaded, survive. You know these women by the fates that happen at the hands of this man. You also know them as the pious one, mm -hmm. the promiscuous one. It kind of like tells you what we know of them. Then it's like, this is because of yeah. patriarchal narratives. So yeah, the um, decision to read Fraser was definitely to make sure it was the most feminist version. That also like covered all the bases yeah, and all exactly. the facts. And you did kind of land on a defining characteristic of each wife that has moved on from the most pious, <laughs> whatever. What are the sort of ways that you have conceptualised each of the wives? Can we talk through them and why you landed on that particular quality? Sure, yeah. Mm. So with Catherine of Aragon, the main reason we landed on the quality we have, which is sort of the super strong, exactly what you're expecting of a feminist retelling of the Six Wives story, where she's basically sit down, shut up, Henry, I'm in charge, who run the world, girls, Beyonce, Jennifer Lopez kind of situation. Mm -hmm. The main reason that we kind of end up there with Catherine of Aragon is because dramaturgically she's the first one. Mm -hmm. And so with this pop concert Six Wives thing, the audience is sort of expecting to see 
the women be like, shut up, Henry, I'm in control now, which is a very baseline version of being girl power, you know? Because she was first, we were like, well, we need to do that first before we kind of move on to other things. And like, that's kind of what the audience who's seeing a show that's these women being, we've been related to this one guy for too long, but no longer. Like, that's kind of what everybody wants to sort of set the tone. You got me down on my knees, please tell me what you think I've done wrong. Been humble, been loyal, I've tried to swallow my pride all along. If you can just explain a single thing I've done to cause you pain, I'll go. No. In her story, there's so much, like, tragedy. So I was a bit like, oh my god, her story, like, is so unbelievably moving. We could write the most incredible power ballad. Then you were like, we can't open a pop musical with a power ballad. A, like, sad ballad about her broken heart. It's like, it's like, oh, why should I win the competition? Well, let me tell you. Oh! That was me that was communicating a power ballad, really yeah. Bad. But yes, that was quite, like, a dramaturgical mm. decision to do that interpretation. And there were sort of other moments. Because obviously, the people like Catherine Howard, we don't really know much about them until they make it into the sort of Henry VIII scene because of just the evidence whereas with Catherine Varagon being a princess we know so much about her life before Henry and you know after yeah. Henry there was another moment where we were thinking of being like oh well it could be the moment that she came over from Spain and there's a story about her dancing at court or something for the first time and oh, she right. knows only Spanish yeah. dances and nobody knows her dances so she does her like dance on her own or something we were like that's such a song and then we were like that's not gonna contextualize it for the audience so we decided for her it'd be like a moment as well and it'd mm -hmm. be like the moment when she basically made this big speech of Blackfriars. Okay, if you can prove that I have done anything that you can annul me for, go ahead, annul me. And then he's like, what? And then she let Mike drops and walks out, essentially. It's sort mm -hmm. of our version ahead. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we end up with Catherine Varagon. And then Anne Boleyn. So narratively, the thing that was interesting was the fact that everybody knows the most about Anne Boleyn. Like Anne Boleyn is the famous one, like in America particularly as well, that like you go and no one knows any of the other ones, but they know about Anne Boleyn. You can just picture the male historians from the past and everybody at her time and Henry VIII and all his men being like, oh, Anne Boleyn, she's so like manipulative, just mm. like... Just this like witch. And the way that she was talked about was like so gendered and it was, we were like well wouldn't it be like funny to imagine that that's what everyone's in a flap about so there's like, mm. as I said a song that comes before it that's kind of like the one you've been waiting for which is sort of embodies the voices of all these male mm. historians her whole thing is like what I just like did something and now everyone's like freaking being out being like oh my god <laughs> you've been calculating it from the beginning you came over as a young woman to steal the king of England it's just like no yeah, like you I actually just fancied him fancied yeah, a snog imagine like, <laughs> yeah and, and actually it probably is closer to the kind of strategic version of it. Henry's out every night on the town just sleeping around like what the hell if that's how it's gonna be maybe I'll flirt with a guy or three just to make him gel Henry finds out and he goes mental he screams and shouts like so judgmental you damn it witch mate just shut up I wouldn't be such a b if you could get it up there was also a thing that was happening in life at the time that I'd like experienced a bit of that where I'd been just like living my life and someone would be like, oh, you've masterminding this thing. I was like, what? Like, yeah, and like, sure <laughs> it's like a thing where at the time we were like, well, wouldn't that be funny if just like have her shrugging it off and being like, yeah, sorry, I didn't really plan anything, like, lol. Mm -hmm. In some ways, then you're posing a sort of counterfactual, like a let's do this historical thought experiment and see how we feel about her if we think of her in that way. Totally. Oh, completely, yeah. The main ambition here is what's going to make our friends laugh at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. What's going to be like a funny vibe. 
never for a second being this is going to be like the musical of the six wives of Henry VIII yeah. across the world with like the definitive interpretation of who these women are. It's quite bad that we've yeah. essentially reduced this incredibly savvy political woman to being like, oh, I didn't need to. Like, yeah, it's actually- it was meant to be like, it's a bit of a thought experiment. Of, oh, what if you like think about this person in this way? We don't know what she was like. What if she was like this? And the way that we've understood her is because of how the patriarchal historians have yeah, narrativized her life. Think outside the box, audience. So it is kind of like a thought experiment, but not to be interpreted as she was actually like this. Yeah. You know? And then, of course, onto Jane Seymour, where we're really scrabbling around for any sort of oomph at all. Well, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the thinking, right? Was that she's got this very straightforward, sad story. Everyone kind of always talks about her as the doormat or the whatever. But we got really taken with the idea, which I think is in both the Fraser and the Wazoo documentary, of reframing the idea of Jane Seymour as being submissive, as her being smart and responding well to the situation. You can build me up, you can tear me down, you can try me. we were like we don't want this just to be a thing where it's every different wife is just telling henry he sucks that's what people want in the first song but by the time you get to the third one you don't want it to just be like this thing where it's just about being mean to this historical figure we were like well is there a way of reframing her supposed submissiveness as a strength and also the kind of thing of her decision to stand by henry and say that she does love henry and that being a thing that you can do as a feminist pop star queen as well completely like the multiplicity of being in love with a man and loving this man for who he is, as well as being like a strong figure. Mm-hmm. And like how those two things can exist at once. And it felt important that it wasn't all just like man-hating. Yeah. Because there's different shades to being feminist. So you're turning things on its head. So the woman we know for her agency, you're saying, well, maybe there was just an accident. And the woman we think of as having no agency at all, there, actually, this was a deliberate decision. And so it's very much upending history. Okay, Tristan, you've got 50 seconds. Go. Right, so Dan's given me a few seconds to sell the Ancients podcast. What is the Ancients, I hear you say? Well, it's like Dan's show, except just ancient history. We've got the groundbreaking new archaeological discoveries. This seems to be the oldest known dated depiction of the animal world, as far as we can tell, anywhere in the world. We've got the big names. It's one of those great things, Pompeii. It's kind of forever rising from the dead and from destruction. We've got the big topics. The man destroys seven legions in a day. No one in history has done that. Subscribe to the Ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, and Russell Crowe, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the Ancients. Spread the word, people. Spread the word. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. And then we got Anne of Cleves. And this is really interesting because whilst you decided not to have Henry feature at all, which I commend because he so often muscles his way onto centre stage. You do include a narrative with Holbein. So why is he on the mix? You'll notice that he is actually not in it. Yeah. It's sort of his fashionistas. It's yeah. his sort of... Like his house. Welcome to the house. To the house of Holbein. Yeah. Holbein. Yeah, it's very weird that we decided to keep Hans Holbein in. It's actually a hangover from when we were planning on having interludes between all of the queens in different ways. That just all didn't happen, but then we like really held mm. on to the Hans Holbein Yeah, character. it was just like one of the, the first ideas that we came up with. Oh my god, there should be a song. <laughs> like Hans I was like, Holbein. I was like, oh yeah, I'm Hans Holbein. I love him, just the House of Holbein. Yeah. And then it wasn't in like the initial pass. And then like during rehearsals. We were like, oh, we, oh, we need to write that Holbein transition. And it like, became a song. Yeah. And we also were like, we need a group number in the middle because they've understood the rhythm now. It's Beyonce, wow, Lily Allen, hilarious, emotional Celine Dion moment. And then it's, okay, well, how do you like them surprising again? And Catherine Howard, I wanted to ask you whether you had changed your perspective on Catherine Howard along the way since you first wrote it. Has she shifted or was it always this kind of take on her as being, as I suppose, an abused child, really, rather than a promiscuous woman? I think that's one of the songs that's changed the least, actually, from yeah. when we first wrote it. And as I say, we were writing in the culture and around the cultural conversation that was about to birth the Me Too movement. So yeah. that was one of the main priorities. Because like with Anne Boleyn, it's like I don't actually have like an intense agenda with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Cleves, it was, wait, reading this history actually seems like perhaps she wasn't ugly as she's been suggested. That was less of an experiment and more us being, this is our detective work and what we think probably actually happened kind of mm-hmm. thing. But then with Catherine Howard, that's the one that feels really like the actual place that I really cared about reclaiming her narrative. And not just because of her specifically, but because of the way that that's been framed for survivors of abuse for so long. I thought this time was different. Why did I think he'd be different? 
Finally, Catherine Parr, tell us about your reading of her. Well, we sort of had the framework of them competing with each other to see who had the worst time. And then we kind of were like, well, you know, at some point, one of them's got to be like, hang on a second, why are we competing with each other? This is Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. And so it was quite fortunate for us that Catherine Parr was the published author and the one who probably would have most... It was like very inconvenient, dramaturgically, that she was like the Mm proto-feminist because we actually were able to utilise that. And also it's interesting because she's the one who, because she's at the end of his life as well, like that she has a life so much and story outside of him like she's the one who if she was writing her own biography henry would be like a chapter as opposed Mm -hmm. to like the kind of defining thing so it sort of made sense that she was the one who was going to be like why are we having to tell these same stories Mm -hmm. so originally we definitely just used her to like turn the competition around and like turn it dramaturgically around but then when we did a kind of rewrite pass we were like okay well let's get her to actually expand on that thing and be like this is why i want to tell stories that aren't just about henry why do i have to keep talking about my sort of sad narrative It's true, I'll never be over you Cause I have built a future in my mind with you And now the hope is gone, there's nothing left for me to do You know it isn't true, but I must say to you That I don't need your love, no We'll come back to the competition in a second, but I'd like to talk about the sort of ways in which you've been, I guess, deliberately, playfully anachronistic from the costumes or at the very end, this kind of celebration of sisterhood between women who never knew themselves as a group, never knew themselves as a collective six. I guess that your answer is going to be, we were just trying to make people laugh, is it? I guess so. I mean... The ending song, Six, the whole like joke of it is they're like, well, we can't change anything now. And they're like, lol, of course, this isn't real. So let's invent this new version of history where we all became a girl group together. Because you do end up with this kind of position in history where the reason that we like frame them via Henry VIII is because that's the historical narrative that we're presented with. That's kind of fun, like in a show where you can just like make up whatever you want. That's, I guess, what a creative endeavour or a musical can do in the way that writing history but can't, you know? Yeah, and also one of our goals for like when we set out to write the thing was showing parallels of like the female experience between like then and now and one of them was also never be too like earnest or sincere and have like an air of silliness and like acknowledge the silliness of like what we're doing here the serious version would be like you actually can't change history yeah and like because we actually all did die and it was like really really awful goodbye (laughs) but it's a musical you know you got to end a musical with a fun up tempo moment I also think the anachronism also fed into that point you're saying about the show was never about these six women have been misunderstood it was kind of women have been misunderstood historically but also women today need to be like given space and given a voice and showcase their powers It, it was so irrelevant to us like really about like the specifics of those past six women and more about the people on stage the anachronism of them being a pop group and then 
joking together, looking and sounding different. We don't cast it based on how they might have looked and we don't make Catherine Aragon do a Spanish accent. It's all about people using their own accents yeah. because it's about them being, I am myself today claiming this space via this story. So the kind mm. of anachronism is really important as well in terms of actually making it about the people who are in the room and mm. about those six performers that you're seeing as opposed to be about the six wives because actually it's fundamentally not about them. Yeah, and we didn't want the audience to leave being like, wow, I like never knew that Amberlynn had a sick finger. Yeah. It's like, we want the audience to leave being like, oh, I guess like what I know about history is because of how it's been told and who tells it. Yeah, and more importantly, those six people I just saw on stage are the funniest, most charismatic, most skillful, smartest performers I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and so you kind of leave thinking about history and thinking about the people that you've seen on stage yeah. and like how it's been told as opposed to like what specifically has been told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I think that's very strong as well. The fact that you do this kind of diverse casting that you're not trying to fit ideas about what we know they look like absolutely does bring it into modern reflections i did an exhibition a few years back at hardwick hall was involved in it anyway which was called we are bess which was thinking about another 16th century woman bess of hardwick and asking 20 women today to have their photograph taken and think about why they are bess and to sort of reflect on themes like living in a man's world or various ideas and it absolutely can give you a, a way of approaching history completely differently to own that sort of sense of, okay, this is how it relates to our lives. And then that makes us reflect back in a different way. But I'm going to ask you a deeply earnest question now. In your competition, the winner is the woman who proves that her life with Henry was the most miserable, the most degraded. And one of my concerns as a historian who writes about women is trying not to do I guess, violence to the lives of those who actually lived. And of course, of the six, we've got one of the women who's very callously treated, two judicially murdered, two died as a result of childbirth. I know it's become a much bigger thing than you started out with it being, but have you had any qualms about serving up their misery for entertainment? Oh my God, yeah. It's a thing I think about all the time. Even like the Jane Seymour story and monologue, even though the specificities of it about her being, well, what does it look like if I'm strong and I loved Henry and that's my strength? Like the way that it's kind of adjacent to being, I stood by my abusive husband. Like it's sort Mm -hmm. of ultimately what it could say. It's the fact that like it is dated in its politics in a huge way. We weren't really thinking about capitalizing off the miseries of these women when we were writing it. And then it's kind of only been upon reflection where we're like, oh, that's a very valid and interesting part of it. Whilst on paper, it's like about them competing to see who had the worst time. If you like listen to the soundtrack, you have no idea that's what it's about, right? Most of the songs aren't about them being and it was really hard for me. A lot of them are about reclaiming agency and joy, celebrating their own lives and stories. And whilst they do like compete about who had the worst time, the kind of overall narrative is to get them to a place of being, huh, isn't it interesting that that's how we've been remembered? It's more like a discussion of like, as you say, like how people have seen them. Mm. But I do think that like the overriding thing that they all emanate throughout the show and by the end is joy. Although the show is telling you it's about seeing who had the worst time, there's a lot in there that is about bringing back their agency and also bringing back their ability to like have fun. Yeah. I always think for some of the things we like wanted to say with the musical to make the point of why we like pit these women against each other in history, why do we like compare them? We had to kind of do that to then make the point that you should do that <laughs> and also to try and confound our conceptions of who they are and to break the stereotypes. We had to establish the stereotypes in a way as well. I think it's interesting, though, like, if you're writing it today, I think genuinely in 2017, 
it felt like we had to sort of frame what the problem was in order to present what the solution is. I think the biggest one for me, though, is just the fact that most people that are on TikTok nowadays sort of know Anne Boleyn as not smart. Even though in the show, she gets like a joke, she actually is incredibly smart. The Anne Boleyn thing is kind of, I'm like, wow, if you like reduced that very complex historical figure yeah. to like one note. But you've said two very interesting things there. One is that actually whilst four years ago, to kind of establish the feminist chops of the show, you had to go through a period of almost not passing the Betchel test, thinking about each woman as a wife, the women competing against each other to see who suffered most. The upshot is supposed to be, let's think about what feminism is a bit differently. And the other thing is, when you talk about a musical without having the music, actually, the thing we can't have in this conversation is that joyful feeling you get when you see Six, right? You come out of it going, I feel great, because... The music does that so that it's operating on two levels because there's music and there's text, I guess. Mm. Totally. And I think just even thinking through the song, for example, the Catherine Howard song, I think about the final section of it where she basically gets to accuse the audience of treating her as this one thing. And whilst it is like showing a story of her suffering and meta narratively, it's about competing with each other. Actually, in that moment, it's like giving Catherine Howard mm. a voice to be mad about what happened to her and yeah. be like, this is all you remember me for and like get angry about it. But yeah. then there's like other people where the song is about them celebrating themselves. Aragon Berlin and Cleves, for sure, are about like celebrating themselves. And Parr. And Parr as well. And like in the remix them. where they all get to kind of say to Henry, yeah. we've had enough. Yeah. we're taking back control and we're saying to you that right now in this fantasy parallel universe we don't need your love we don't need you to be amazing and take up space and have a voice Those... we give these historical figures a chance to celebrate themselves on stage and be seen as something other than what they are traditionally seen as mm. we're singing And the ultimate answer is that you have got a lot of people who would not otherwise have cared about history or about these women to be interested. That's the sort of rising tide that floats all boats. You have got a bunch of particularly young women interested in Tudor history. So there's something there that we can learn about the success of Six and how basically we can teach history to younger people, don't you think? You know, I love when people get excited about the Tudors and history, but I'm interested in them coming away from the show and being like, wow, the things I learned at school, I didn't realise they were framed in this patriarchal narrative. There's something really interesting in the idea of like historical truth and what people think of as like the facts of history versus creative versions of it. But actually, like, I feel like what I want people to go away from it is not be like, maybe I'm going to go read about Jane Seymour and find out she wasn't interesting. I'm going to be suspicious of history and I'm going to be like, oh, I didn't realise that what was, like, in a textbook actually is the same as a novel, like, is an agenda, like, is somebody mm. with a voice and a perspective telling me what the thing is. And the thing that's kind of dangerous about it is that history has this veil of neutrality, right? Because it's about dates and times and when things happen, people think of it as factual when actually it is just being constructed the whole time. And that's what I kind of think is fun about the way that Six is technically, with its facts and figures, historically accurate. And it kind of uses that as a way to be like, and actually you can also see it in this way. The facts are right, the dates are right. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hopeful is that it teaches people not so much interested in the Six Wives, although that is, you know, good and great and love that, but it's more to be like, 
hang on, what else have I been told that isn't true or that is framed with the male narrative at the centre? Yes, so it's also a kind of guide to how to avoid fake news and alternative facts. It's how to think critically about whatever you come across. As a historian working in this area, I do want to say that I... I'm grateful to you for doing this. I think that it's something that encourages people to think about history and that, above all, to me matters. It's not all that matters to me, but it is something that matters a lot. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. That's so kind. If you'd like to go and see Six the Musical, then History Hit has a special offer on tickets. Just go to shop dot historyhit.com forward slash our hyphen partners to find out more and if you'd love to receive more Tudor knowledge then why not subscribe to our Tudor Tuesday newsletter the details of how to do that are in the notes for this episode even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. History is full of extraordinary people, the Tudors being just a handful. In my latest film on History Hit, we meet Bess of Hardwick and go inside the incredible house that she built, a house that defines the elegance and grandeur of the Elizabethan age, a house fit for a woman who climbed to the top of the Tudor social ladder. To find out more about the life of Bess and many more fascinating figures from the past, sign up via the link in the description with the code TUDORS for an exclusive discount.